Listen, if you're visiting with us, we welcome you and we pray that today will be a blessing to you as uh, we continue our series called End Times Super Trends. This is a, a section of messages uh, based on uh, Bible prophecy. And yes, we do preach Bible prophecy here. We try and preach all of God's counsel because it's all inspired and it's all written for our learning. And uh, I know that there's a lot of things going on in the world right now that uh, have people questioning and have people searching for answers. And I'm here today to tell you that I know the book that has the answers. It's uh, God's book, this holy Bible that's inerrant, inspired, infallible, uh, given to you and me uh, for times such as this. Uh, but I'm continuing this uh, series of lessons on uh, Bible prophecy, and today we will be in Daniel chapter 3. And we're going to see how this familiar Old Testament story connects very well with our modern world. Uh, a message, in fact, that I preached back in the spring at a revival, but I hadn't preached here, so most of you have not heard this. But the title of the message today is Bow or Burn, and it comes from Daniel chapter 3. Now, In the 1950s, there was a psychologist named Dr. Solomon Ash, and he carried out an interesting experiment whereby he was studying the effects of peer pressure. And so here's how the experiment was set up. Ash brought groups of ten people into a room with a chalkboard. On the board were drawn three line segments of varying length. The subjects were then instructed to raise their hand when the teacher pointed to the longest line. But what one person in that group did not know was that the other nine in that room had been instructed ahead of time to always vote for the second longest line. Now, keep in mind, the aim of Dr. Ash was to determine how would the minority react when surrounded by a majority that obviously stood against the truth. Well, Ash repeated the experiment hundreds of times and the result was nearly the same. The nine would vote for the wrong line, and then the stooge would glance around, kind of frown in confusion, and then tepidly slip his hand up with the rest of the group. Time after time, as sure as the sunrise, the self-conscious stooge would sit there saying that a short line was longer than a long line simply because he lacked the strength to challenge the group. What Dr. Ash discovered in this remarkable experiment was conformity to peer pressure occurred, listen to this, in 75% of the cases, and it was true across age groups, small children, high schoolers, and adults as well. Now, I tell you that story this morning to make a point. We aren't as strong and independent as we might think we are, because if most people will crumble under the pressure of such small matter then it's almost certain they don't stand a chance when the stakes are really high and when the pressure is turned up. And I think that is what makes the classic story of the three Hebrews and the fiery furnace and their courageous faith so compelling even to us today. In fact, this story, which if you grew up in church, in Sunday school or vacation Bible school, you've heard it, but you may not know the story is actually alluded to in the Hall of Faith, Hebrews 11, Starting in verse 32, listen to what the Bible says there. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, 
of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, and then watch this last part, quenched the power of fire. No doubt an allusion to Daniel chapter 3. We know their names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were given an ultimatum. It was this, bow or burn. Now today, the church is facing increasing opposition, and we can clearly see the day coming when I believe Christians, yes, even in the United States, will have to make a similar decision. Will we compromise or will we stand up and represent Christ and the gospel? These three courageous youths that we're going to read about today will teach us that if we're going to live for God in a kid in a perverse world, there will be moments when we will have to choose between conviction and compromise. Will we bow or burn? So, as you're taking notes today, I want you to notice with me, number one, as we track the story together, a command that would not bend. A command that would not bend. Notice this starting in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits, and it's a plus 6 cubits. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sat with the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the counselors and treasurers, the justices and the magistrates and all the officials of the province to come to the dedication of the image of the king that he had set up. Verse 3, Then the satraps and the prefects, the governors, counselors, treasurers, justices and magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Verse 4, And the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to bow down and worship the golden image that the King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now drop down to verse 12 very quickly and we'll read, There are certain Jews among you who have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you, and they do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I'm talking to you first of all about the command that would not bend. Now, as we get into this passage, let me give you a little bit of historical context. Daniel and his three friends have been living in Babylon now for about 20 years. King Nebuchadnezzar is the villain of the story. He has conquered Jerusalem. He did that in 586 B.C. He destroyed the temple. He deported the people of which Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were a part of that deportation and Nebuchadnezzar has, since chapter 1, tried to get these uh, Jewish men to assimilate into the Babylonian way of life. He changed their diet. He changed their clothing. He changed their names. But friend, one thing he couldn't change was their God. As they stood against the command that would not bend. Now picture here, if you will, in your mind's eye, Nebuchadnezzar's golden idol. A monument 
to man's narcissism. Here it is rising high from the desert plains. You could imagine it shimmering there in the midday sun. And friend, what is fascinating about this image is that it's not only about the past, but I believe it's a prophetic preview of things to come. Because if you know the Bible, the Bible tells us that Babylon 2.0 is rising in our time. Uh, the Hebrew children faced a despotic king, and we today face a wicked cancel culture that we know, according to the Bible, is going to culminate in the rise of a one-world dictator, a man the Bible calls the Antichrist, or the beast, or the man of sin. Now, as we notice the details of this passage, let me point out just a few things to you. First, notice the dominion. Where were they in this story? They were in Babylon. And keep in mind, the plains where Nebuchadnezzar, where he had put up that idol, is the same place, if you go all the way back to Genesis 11, it's the same place where Nimrod, the world's first dictator, tried to build that ill-fated tower to the heavens. And what's interesting is if you compare those two, Nebuchadnezzar and Nimrod and Babylon, both of those men are trying to create a one-world government. They're trying to unify by religion. But both men, as we will read, are going to be judged by God. God confused the language of the people in Genesis 11. But then also notice something interesting here, which I call the dimensions of the idol. The Bible gives us these measurements, 60 cubits high by 6 cubits wide. Now, we don't use a cubit today, but back then in the ancient world, that was about the length uh, from the tip of the middle finger all the way down to the elbow, approximately 18 inches. If you do the measurement today, that's about 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. Now, why do I point this out? Notice the numbers there, 6 and 6. This is interesting. If you know Bible prophecy, in Revelation 13 and verse 18, we're told that the number called the mark of the beast, the number of the Antichrist, will be 666. Now, why 6? Because... The number six in the Bible is always associated with man. Because if you go back to the creation narrative on week one of creation in Genesis 1, man is created on day six. Seven, we know, is the day that God rested. It was the day that creation was completed. And so seven is God's number of completion and perfection. And therefore, man always falls short. He'll always be a six. God will always be almighty, sovereign, and Ruler. So no matter what man tries to do to assemble the world under one ruler and one government and one economy and one religion, it'll always fall flat because man will always be a six. All have fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23 says. That's the dimensions and the dominion. But then I also want you to see the despot, Nebuchadnezzar. He is a foreshadowing of this man of sin, this antichrist that is to come. I like to call him Satan's CEO. One day, the Bible tells us that he will actually rule the whole world from the same city, the city of Babylon. You could do an interesting study. The most uh, off-quoted or most mentioned city in the Bible is the city of Jerusalem. You know what the second most is? Babylon. Jerusalem stands for the, the, the center of God's people and where God's... Uh, Goings on are, are coming forth across the earth. But Babylon always st stands in the Bible as a kingdom of man, a kingdom of evil. It's the mother of all false religion, idolatry, and paganism. 
And the Bible says that one day we're going to bookend just as Nimrod set up in Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar set up in Babylon. One day the Antichrist is going to bookend the world there and set up his kingdom in Babylon as well. And something else that's interesting here, just as Nebuchadnezzar demanded worship or death, the Bible tells us that so too that the Antichrist is going to demand that everybody accept his mark or face persecution and death. If you don't have that mark that the Bible talks about, you will not be able to buy and sell. You'll be economically paralyzed, but I've got good news. I'm saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't plan on being here when the tribulation happens. I think I'm about going up, up, and away when the cry is given and the trumpet is sounded, the church will be out of here. So there's a despot, the dimensions, and the dominion. Now let me point out something to you from a recent headline that I saw that raised an eyebrow as I studied Daniel chapter 3. This was from a Yahoo News headline. It caught my attention. Here was the headline. Get a first look at the giant statue coming to 21 cities across the globe. Listen to what the article said. In the near future, a company in Ireland is hoping to bring the world's tallest moving statue to 21 cities, such as Phoenix, Montreal, and Las Vegas. Called the giant, quote-unquote, it's programmable. It's a moving statue that's 10 stories tall and covered with millions of LED pixel lights that allow it to take in the form of any person. So get this, you can take this statue, program it with a computer, and it will shapeshift, it will turn into any image you want it, from Spider-Man to Beyonce to Albert Einstein. Each hour, they said in this article, the giant will transform into national heroes and global celebrities. Giant's arms and head can move in multiple directions. It can sing, it can speak for the entertainment of all onlookers. And it says that giant can be set up in any city in just a matter of moments. If you know <laughs> your Bible, according to Daniel 3, and what the Bible says is going to happen toward the end times in Revelation chapter 13, this is stunning. Because Revelation 13 tells us that during the tribulation period, the Antichrist is going to have a first lieutenant, a man the Bible calls the false prophet. And his job will be to make sure to enforce the rules of the Antichrist. And one of the things the false prophet is going to do, according to Revelation 13, is he's going to set up an image so that people will have to bow down and worship the Antichrist just as we see here in Daniel chapter 3. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that this piece of technology is that image of the beast. But what I am suggesting to you is this, that we are witnessing right now the development of the kind of technology that could be used during the tribulation to deceive the masses. And what I'm telling you is that the pieces of Bible prophecy are falling into place just as the Bible said it would. I want to be very sensitive with the next comments that I'm going to make. We see the spirit of Babylon rising in our time, there's no doubt. The spirit of Babylon which seeks to dominate and to dictate everything to people's lives. We just witnessed some unprecedented government overreach into the intrusion of the private lives of Americans just a few weeks ago when President Biden announced mandating vaccines to small businesses over 100 employees after they already promised that that would not happen back in July. And even back in earlier than that, they said they wouldn't even take the vaccine during the 2020 election cycle. 
But in that move, not only did Biden torch the right to medical freedom, isn't it interesting that uh, for so many years the abortionist has said, it's my body, it's my choice, and yet when it comes to this issue, we just throw it out and it doesn't matter anymore. And what we've noticed here in the past few weeks is that since this mandate, thousands and thousands of Americans have resigned from their jobs. People like you and me who don't want to violate their conscience, but they just don't feel comfortable with it. They've quit in the military, the healthcare industry, the law enforcement, the airlines, the fire and rescue. I mean, it's all over our nation. And hear me, if you got the vaccine, I love you. If you didn't get the vaccine, I love you. The, the point is the government forcing these things upon people and giving them an ultimatum saying, if you don't take this, well, you're going to have to get a new job. This is how, friend, listen to me. This is how tyranny begins. And this is the spirit of Babylon that we read here in Daniel chapter 3. And the Bible says is going to be coming upon the world toward the end as we look forward to the return of Christ. I think about what Ronald Reagan said. He said this, Tyranny often creeps in silently on little cat feet and you will either control your government or your government will control you. Think about it, friend. If the government can mandate that you put something in your body, what else can it take away? What else can it come after? The church? Your First Amendment right? Your Second Amendment right? I'm telling you, as Americans and as Christians, we ought to be concerned about these developments in our world. It's not just happening in these United States. Go to the north. Look at what's happened in Canada. The harsh government lockdowns in Canada has, listen, led to the arrest of pastors. They're arresting pastors in Canada. Let me give you one example. This man's name is Arthur Pawlowski. There he is pictured on the tarmac there in Calgary. He's being arrested. Look at the headline. Canadian pastor arrested on tarmac over COVID rules says police confiscated luggage and snooped his laptop. Here's what happened. Arter Pulaski was filed with two criminal charges. What was his crime? Murder? Treason? Theft? No, here's where his crimes. Number one, he failed to wear a mask in public. And number two, he was organizing an illegal church gathering, according to the Canadian government. Pastor Arter had just been preaching in the U.S., warning that Western governments increasingly resembled the communist regime in Poland that he fled from as a young man. Here's what he said. He said, quote, The government wants to become God. The government wants to be worshipped. And anyone else or anything that competes with that has to be destroyed. In other words, bow or burn. Australia. Have you been reading about what's happening in the country of Australia? This is another case study of the strong-arm authoritarian tactics done in the name of COVID. Australian cities like Sydney and Melbourne, do you know they have suffered some of the harshest lockdowns? Listen to what the article tells us. Citizens were only allowed outdoors for one hour a day in some of these cities. Borders were closed. A COVID caste system was created where the unvaccinated were not permitted to enjoy social privileges. Churches were demanded to be closed. And as thousands of Aussies begin to protest, there have been arrests after arrest and imprisonment. What's the lesson from all this? Well, these examples show us how quickly our freedoms can be taken away in the name of a quote-unquote crisis. By the way, let me remind you, 
If this was really about public health over a virus that has 99% recovery rate, or is this about power and control? Friend, when they take power, they don't ever give it back. It's the way of government. If you study history, and if you study the pattern of the way that this thing develops, as long as the ruling class can grab more power, this will be a never-ending pandemic, I believe. 1 John 2.18 says this, It tells us that the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work in the world. And you know what? The Antichrist spirit moves toward despotism, toward domination, toward ruling every aspect of people's lives religiously, intellectually, online, every way. So that is number one, the command that would not bend. But then I want you to see also in our story, number two, a courage that would not bow. A courage that would not bow. Notice what verse 16 tells us. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Watch this. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. A courage that would not bow. Oh, these boys are like a Texas steer in a blizzard. The Hebrew trio remained unmoved in their convictions. They believed that God could deliver them from the trial. But notice the little phrase, if not, but if not so, then we aren't afraid to face the fire because we know our God has a plan. Our God has a mighty delivering hand. Our God will be with us. You see, these three Hebrews, they took courage in something called the sovereignty of God. That God is in control. That God knows, God sees, and God cares. And whatever the dictators and the governments and the power structures of the world, they do what they can, but man proposes, but God disposes. Man may rule, but God overrules. Amen? Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, quote, In times of trial, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which the Christian rests his head. Am I worried about the direction of our country? Absolutely. Am I worried about the moral freefall of this nation? Yes, I am. But do I lose sleep over it? No. You know why? Because I have peace in a sovereign God who allows things to happen. He has a purpose. He has a plan. And my hope's not in the White House. It's not uh, on Wall Street. It's not in Hollywood. It's not in big tech. My hope is in the God who is sovereign and who rules over the affairs of men. I got news for you, friend. Listen to me today. It's not going to get any easier in this country to be a God-fearing, Bible-believing Jesus follower. I think we're headed for some dark times. And the dark times are already upon us. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had that choice, bow or burn. And they had to decide what, what, what was more important in that moment. The temporary and the fleeting approval of an arrogant man or the eternal and everlasting approval of a holy God. It was either the fear of man or it was faith in God. And friend, I'm here today to tell you that that day of decision is upon us now. God, I believe, is looking for bold men and bold women who will stiffen their spine, who will stand up and say, I would rather stand with God and be judged by the world than stand with the world and be judged by God. 
And as our world looks more and more like Babylon of the Bible, as the day grows darker and the wickedness abounds in our culture, those who stand out for Christ, oh yeah, they'll stick out just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but they'll know the presence of Christ unlike anybody else. You see, I'm going to point this out to you here in just a moment. Hang on to that thought. Erwin Lutzer writes this, though, in his 2020 book, We Shall Not Be Silenced. Listen to what he said. He said, the church in America does not have the clout to reverse laws that have ousted God from schools and public places. We have not the power to halt the LBGT agenda or to stop the march of BLM or the indoctrination in our public schools or to overcome the media machine of big tech. However, he said, it is not a time to hide behind our church walls and be shamed in the silence or in action. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he said, we must stand with renewed faith in the gospel, entrusting our lives and our futures into the hand of a preserving God. My God is big enough that, that my God knows that, that my God can reach down in whatever situation I, or whatever pressure I find myself in, and He can give me the strength to stand and not bow down to the unrighteous demands of the world. John Chrysostom was a, a brave church father who lived uh, from 349 to 407 A.D. He preached the gospel and he taught in the church in the city of ancient Constantinople. He lived during a time where persecution was great. As a young man, the story goes that John Chrysostom was brought before the emperor. And the emperor told him if he did not stop preaching Christ, that he would be banished from the country. Here's what Chrysostom said in response. He said, you can't do that. This whole world belongs to my heavenly father, so you cannot banish me. The emperor said, then I will take away all of your property. And John Chrysostom said, you cannot, for all my treasures are in heaven. The emperor was now growing angry. He said, then I will take you and place you where you will not have a friend to speak to. And Chrysostom replied, you cannot, for I serve Jesus, a friend who sticks closer than a brother. The emperor finally threatened. He said, then... I will take away your life. And he answered back, You cannot, for the scripture says, My life is hid with God in Christ. And the emperor shook his head and said, What can you do with a man like that? And friend, that's what I'm calling you to today. To be filled with the Holy Ghost of God. To know the Bible. To love Jesus Christ so that you might be able to stand in this wicked world and so that when the pressure comes you don't bow but they look at you and they see Christ in you they see the power of God in you they say there's something different something unique what could we do with men or women like that oh my I want you to see today as we look at this message a command that would not bend and then a courage that would not bow but then number three I come to my last point and I hope that you'll see this a companion that would not burn. Oh, I might just preach a little bit on this point. This is where it starts to get real good, folks. A companion that would not burn. Even though God did not rescue them from the fire, He was with them through the fire. And God promises to do the same thing in our lives. I want you to notice as we go through this section here, three important ways that God helped Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. First of all, notice God's presence. God's presence that begins in verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. 
and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. And then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their outer garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. And the Bible says, because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished as he rose up in haste. Watch this. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. That was his uh, quaint, uh, pagan, twisted way of saying, uh, there's somebody in the mix of that fire who doesn't belong, and he has to be divine. Now, these fellows noticed this. They didn't go looking for trouble. But how many of you know that if you are bold in your faith and you decide to serve Christ, trouble will sometimes come looking for you? We're not called to be combative or controversial or ill with people. Uh, but sometimes when you take a stand and you are standing your convictions and you've got Bible to, to guide you, uh, that can push people and push back against the, the, the spirit of the age. And you don't go looking for trouble, but sometimes trouble will find you. I mean, just look at the Bible. There's famines and there's floods and there's foes and there's fires. And they all come upon God's people at various times. Our faith may not get us out of trouble, but what it will do is it will get God into trouble with us. God will enter into your problem. God will enter into your situation. And just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you'll find His presence in that trial. I love what G.K. Chesterton said. He was a, a witty Christian author who lived over 100 years ago, but he said this, Jesus promised His disciples three things, that they would be completely fearless, absurdly happy and in constant trouble <laughs> and if you read the book of acts isn't that the truth now the technical term what's really going on here with this fourth man in the fire the technical term is what the theologians call a christophany a christophany it's an old testament appearance of christ before his incarnation you say pastor Derek, how does that work how does god do that i don't know that's why he's god and i'm not but I can tell you it's in there and I believe it. And so thank God, though, we have a Savior who isn't a stranger to the fire. Thank God we have a, a Savior who isn't a stranger to the flood. He's fireproof. He's a lifeguard that walks on water. He knows the way through the valley. He'll be there with you on the dark nights when you can't sleep. Uh, he'll rest beside you and in the graveyard when you're uh, crying copious tears and you don't have the strength to go on. I'm thankful today that I've got a God who'll get in the mess that I'm in and say, I'm with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You just keep walking and you'll find my presence stronger as you continue believing in me. Isaiah told God's people 150 years even before this incident in Isaiah 43 too listen to the promise he gave them when you pass through the waters I'll be with you and through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you and when you walk through the fire you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you you see they had a promise of God 
And friend, when you have a promise of God, it's the one thing you can anchor your life to in a world that's changing, in days that are dark, or when you are afraid to turn on the news to hear one more piece of, of, of bad news. I'm telling you, if you know the Word of God and you have a promise of God to hold on to, it will bring certainty, it'll bring calm, it'll bring peace, it'll bring His presence into your life. The devil can throw us into the furnace, but listen, he can't keep the fourth man out. <laughs> The devil can throw us in the furnace, but he can't keep that fourth man out. And if God allows that to happen to you and to me, God who sends us into the fire, his hand is on the thermostat, and his eye is on the timer. He knows what we can handle and what is needed for our growth. You know, something I noticed the other time as I studied this a few weeks ago, for the first time I saw something. Isn't that interesting how you can study God's Word your whole life? And you can come back to a passage and revisit it, and God will show you some new truth that you hadn't realized before. Well, as I was studying this, I noticed something. It's the fact that Jesus, the fourth man, only appears in one part of the story. He's in the furnace waiting for the young men. Now, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but you do the math. Okay? Outside the furnace, there was three. Inside the furnace, there was four. And then outside the furnace again, as we'll read later, there was three. What does that mean? It means that Jesus never manifested himself except in the inside of that furnace when he was needed the most. Oh, friend, what a lesson for you and for me. So often we go through the days and the weeks, the trials and the troubles, the stresses and the problems of life, and we don't feel God's presence in our situation uh, praying is like the heavens being turned to brass. You can open the Word of God. It seems like the words fall apart and you can't get anything out of it. Sometimes you can't feel God's presence in the midst of your trial. But, old friend, when the trial comes and the flames lick at your feet and life tumbles all around you, then you'll be, you'll be able to discover Jesus in the presence of that problem like you've never known Him before. He's right there in the moment when you need Him the most. Oh my gosh, what a promise. His presence. And friend, when they see Christ in us as our world falls apart, and as things don't go as we plan, and as we suffer when the world looks upon us, and they see, hey, there's something different about that person, that man, that woman. They've got joy. They've got love. They're not bitter. They've got peace. They've got something that I can't understand. You know what that is? That's the fourth man living in you and abiding in you and showing the world, hey, you can have hope. You can have peace. You can know the presence of God. That's what the old pagan king Nebuchadnezzar saw as he looked down there. He said, wait, this don't add up. There's a fourth man in the fire. And friend, if you know him and love him and have been through it, you'll find that he's a sweet friend that will never leave you and never forsake you. Oh, my goodness, that's his presence. But then I also want you to notice his protection. Look here, what it said very quickly in verse 25. He answered and said, but I see four men, watch this, unbound. Underline that word, that's so important. Unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. Then look at verse 26. Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and they saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of these men. Watch this. And the hair of their heads were not singed, 
nor their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. You say, how did God do it? I don't know how He did it, but I believe in a God who can send you through a seven times hot fire and you can come out on the other side and not even have the smell of smoke on your clothes. That's my God. That's His abiding presence and that's His protection in their lives. Notice that one word in verse 25. They were walking around unbound. The king looked at that and he said, wait, we tied them up when we threw them in there. But now they're walking around. They seem to be enjoying themselves. They're having fellowship with somebody I don't recognize in that fire. And friend, here's what I want you to see today. Praise God for this, His protection. They actually came out of that fire better than they were before because the fire, God allowed that to burn off the thing which was restricting them and holding them back. It loosed and it burned away to ash those ropes that were binding them. And friend, that's what I'm telling you about how God uses trials in our lives. A furnace of affliction. We don't want to go through it. I don't pray that God sends me through the fire. I'm not asking to be punished. I don't like persecution. I'm just like you. I want to uh, enjoy peace and harmony and all of those things. But sometimes God asks us to go through the fire. And when we go through the fire, you need to realize He's got a plan. He's got a purpose to it. You may not see it. You may not understand it. You may not even feel it until you get some hindsight and you can look back on it. And as you go through that trial, you look at what God has done in your life. Hey, God's burned away some pride in my life. Hey, God's burned away some love for the world that I used to have. God's burned away an inadequate understanding of who I thought He was. God's taken away my hard heart. God's taken away my sinful habit. And friend, that's what I'm telling you. God can use even a fiery furnace to shape you into me and to burn off those things that have us bound so that when we come out on the other side, we got a testimony to tell to say, Hey world, listen to this. My God is able, my God is faithful, and my God is with me. We don't want to go through the fire, but I'm telling you, if you've been through it and you felt the presence of Christ and you've seen what He's done in your life, you can actually get on the other side of it and say, Thank you, Lord, for the fire. Because I learned something about you in the fire that I couldn't have learned any other way. God, you took something away from me that had me bound that couldn't have gotten away from me any other way unless you did it, God. His protection, His presence, and then I want you to look at this, His promotion. Nebuchadnezzar answered verse 28 and said, Blessed. What? He's a pagan. He's not a God worshiper. He doesn't know Jehovah. At least he does now. He gives a beatitude. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, verse 29, I make a decree any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. Their house is laid in ruins, and there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Out of the mouth of the old pagan king comes a praise. Because of the courageous faith of these young men, notice this, a loud-mouthed, arrogant king was forced to praise God. I have no ill will, no acrimony toward any of our leaders that I might disagree with. In fact, the Bible tells me I'm to pray for them. I'm to pray for their salvation. I'm to pray that they understand and receive the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Some of you may think, well, gosh, Derek, you're really angry. No, I'm not angry. I'm passionate, and I want people to be saved. I want this nation to be turned around. I want folk to know the love and the joy and the confidence that I have in my God. I want them to have that same assurance, and I'm willing to stand up and speak out and say, my God is king, and he will not be moved. And by his power, as long as I have strength in my body, as long as I have air in my lungs, I'm going to tell the world, Jesus saves. And Jesus is the only way. And he's a good God. He's an on-time God. He's a sovereign God. And he'll meet you where you are and find you in the fire. Proverbs 16 and verse 7 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. I want to finish today by telling you a story that the old preacher Harry Ironside used to tell years ago. Harry Ironside, the pastor of the historic Moody Church in Chicago, Illinois, years ago, he told a story one time about a pioneer family. This was a family who was moving across the plains of Nebraska and, and Kansas during those days of westward expansion, manifest destiny and all of that. And this family had their caravan loaded and they were going through those plains. And as they were going across that vast expanse of American territory, he said that they looked out on the horizon and they saw plumes of smoke rising. And the old father, the patriarch of this family who had uh, been around the block more than once he knew what that meant. There was a prairie fire that was burning hot. And the way the winds were blowing, that fire was going to reach them in no time. So everybody started to panic. What are we going to do? They turned to the old man. The old man told the young men. He said, strike a, a fire, and I want you to begin to burn the ground around us. Sounded odd, sounded strange, but they did as they were told. And they began to burn the grass around them. And then he told his family, he said, all right, now that the, the ground has been burned there, he said, let's move all the wagons and move everybody, all the animals, all the material." Move them into that section of ground that's been burned. And the story goes that as the winds blew, that prairie fire came to where they were. And one of the little girls, one of the little girls in the family, tugged on the, the patriarch's pants. And he, she said, Daddy, Daddy, we're going to die. The fire's coming. And he said, Honey, no. He said, We're standing in the place where the fire's already been. And the fire passed around them because they, had stood, they were standing on ground that had already been charred. And the fire moved around them and they were preserved and saved. Friend, I'm telling you today about Christ who can save. And we don't have to fear the wrath of God because if you're in Christ, if you're covered by His blood, if you know Him personally as your Lord and Savior, no matter what the world might throw at you or might come your way, you're standing in the place where the fire's already been. 2,000 years ago, God sent His wrath God sent his judgment upon his son when he died on that cross for your sin and for my sin and if we stand where he is if we go to the cross and where the wrath of God is already visited the Bible says that the judgment of God will pass over us you see I know a God who can save from the guttermost to the uttermost he can change your life he can give you a new heart and he can forgive you of your sin and friend, I'm here today to ask you, have you moved where the fire's already been? If you haven't, it's time to pick up and move. It's time to come to the cross of Jesus Christ if you don't know Him and find His perfect mercy and His grace and His forgiveness and understand that peace that comes with only a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
our musicians are going to be coming now. We're going to have a brief time of invitation. Maybe you need to come and, and respond to this message today. Maybe there, there's some sin in your life you need to repent of. Maybe you need to seek Christ for the first time and, and you say, Derek, I, I need to be saved. I need to be born again. I need to be forgiven. You can do that right now. Maybe there's some issue in your life and you say, Derek, I'd love prayer. You can come forward and if you say, I'm in the fire right now, Derek, it's, it's licking me up and it's burning all around me. Will you pray for me? Hey, this is a house of prayer. And we've got people who will gather around you and pray with you in the midst of your trial. But let's stand and let's sing. Whatever the need is of the hour, you be obedient to what God would have you.